Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dan, uh, if we've never met, and uh, it's my privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, I want to start this morning by telling you a story, and it's a story about Christmas in January. Uh, But it's okay, it's not a story about Santa and his reindeer, neither is it a story about a grown man who once had a love of Christmas and for some reason it has gone away, but then some woman turns up and suddenly magically falls in love with Christmas again. No, it's nothing like that. This is a story about Christmas logistics, and for that, I have a map. I like that, yeah. Um, Okay, so the first thing you will probably be aware of is we are about here, that star at the top. Now, whether you have known me for 20 years or you've just literally heard me for the first time, you've probably worked out I'm not a Yorkshire native. Um, I come from down there, if you can see it, right down on the south coast. And my wife, who is down the front, she comes from Norfolk, there. And so we spend every Christmas, we try and see everyone. And this involves kind of planning and who we're going to see at what point and driving numerous miles in the car, stuck on the M11, kids needing a wee halfway around the M25, that sort of thing. Um, And so this is generally, before 2020, this is how we do it. We get in the car, we drive from Huddersfield to Kings Lynn like that, and then we drive, all four of us drive down to the south coast like that, and then we drive back like that. Um, Roughly, I couldn't get the lines, well, I didn't have time to match the lines up with the M1, but you know what I mean. But in 2021, um, something happened. My wife got a new job. And suddenly, in the gap between Christmas and New Year, she needed to work. Now, me and the kids had two options. Either come back and spend three days in Huddersfield, um, sat in our house. I mean, obviously, we do things. Or go down to my parents, where there's free food and free childcare. Um, So... What we did in 2021 was this. We, took, we ended up taking two cars to Kings Lynn, at which point we spent a few days there, and then I drove down south with the kids, Ruth drove back up north, and then she joined us later, like that. And then we all drove in two cars back up to Huddersfield. Now, you will be aware that last year something happened with fuel prices. And suddenly this didn't feel like the most sensible option. So I sat on various travel websites trying to work it out. The train, no go, no go, not at all. But this is, we came up with this solution in 2022. We took two cars to Kings Lynn again because Kings Lynn is in the middle of nowhere and you cannot get there via any form of public transport. Uh, I then went south, true though. Um, I then went south with the kids, Ruth went north. And then, this is true, It was cheaper for Ruth to get a plane from Manchester to London than it was for the fuel cost in the Mini, um, or the return trip in the Mini. So Ruth then flew down, and I quickly nipped up to the airport to get her. It was cheaper to do that than it was to take two cars for that whole journey. Or so I told everyone. Because there's a little caveat Oh, and then obviously we all went back in one car. Um, There's a little caveat to this story. The reason this is cheaper is because for this journey from the south coast to the airport and back, 
I took my mum's car. <laughs> and I took her car and I used her fuel that she filled up. And I even, this is true, even managed to convince her, because their car only generally does short journeys, that it was good for the car that I took it. <laughs> so, yeah. So the only reason this worked out financially is because I didn't pay for part of it. Um, and the only reason this was possible is because I am a son. Because I am a son of Andy and Chris Lush, who happen to have a car that I could drive from the south coast to up to uh, the airport. As their son, I'm on the insurance of that car, and they trust me to drive it. If one of you turned up at their house unannounced and asked to drive their car to the airport, I am very confident that the answer would be no. I get this benefit because I am a son. And more than that, they are happy to let me do it. In fact, they want to help. Yeah, take our car, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. It is part of my sonship. It is part of what I get as their son, my earthly sonship. But you know what? I am not just a son of a family, or of a couple on earth. I am a son of the king. So let's turn together, first of all, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. This is the New Living Translation. But when the time came, God sent his son... Born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We have been, if we have accepted Jesus into our lives, we have been adopted as children of God. The NIV, New International Version of the Bible, refers to it as this, that we might receive adoption of sonship, or to sonship. To be clear right now, when the Bible refers to sonship, this is not about gender. This is about position. In the, the man who wrote this book is a man named Paul. And in his writings, both here and in other books in the New Testament, where he talks about sons, he talks about sons and slaves. And he's distinguishing between two types of people, two positions of people. This is a concept that those who were reading in that New Testament time would have been familiar with. Sons had very different rights to slaves. Sons become heirs. They take on the family business. They receive inheritance passed down from their fathers. And so it is here that Paul is telling us that we have been adopted 
that we're no longer slaves, as we were singing earlier, we're no longer slaves to fear, but in fact, we are sons, we are children of God. And that applies to both male and female. We are children of God. Jesus bought our freedom on the cross so that we could be free. And through that, God has adopted us into his family as his children. When someone is adopted, I know several families who have adopted children, and when they adopt, that child becomes legally theirs. It becomes legally part of the family. It becomes a child of the person who has adopted them. And they receive all the same benefits, all the same inheritance as a natural child would. And so it is with us in the spiritual that when we are adopted, we receive all the benefits. We are God's children because of what Jesus did on the cross. So what does this look like and how does this work out in our daily lives? Well, we're going to turn to a familiar story. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And this is, will be, uh, verse 11, will be in your Bibles. There'll be a little a line at the top, a little title probably in your Bibles that will be called the parable of the lost son. Or in some translations, the parable of the prodigal son. But those lines, those little titles, are there just to help us out. They're not part of the original translation. And this morning, I want to just tweak it a little bit. And I want to refer to it today as the parable of the two sons. So let's read from verse 11. This is in the New Living Translation. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have, enough food, have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both, you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the, fat, kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to his life. He was lost, but he is now found. So the party began. 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. It's a very familiar story to many and it's a beautiful story as well. Two sons, two very different approaches to their sonship. We have the younger son who wants to spend all his inheritance now to live in the good of everything now, to experience everything now. And he wants to do it on his terms, in his own way, on his own, living outside the family uh, house, living wherever he wants, just doing it his way. And as we know, this doesn't go well for him. (laughs) But the younger son did understand one thing. Right at the beginning of the story, he understood something vital. The inheritance is available now. He didn't have to wait. See, normally inheritance comes on, comes as one generation passes away, passes it on to the next. But that's not what we see here. Here, the father hands it over to the younger son. But it's just sadly, the younger son gets it wrong. He squanders it. But of course, the father welcomes him back with loving arms. But what about the oldest son? Well, I want to suggest he missed it altogether. Here we have the oldest son who was living every day in the goodness of his father's house. He's there, he's eating his father's food, he's drinking his father's wine. He's living in the midst of his inheritance, but he doesn't realize it. He is too busy working. In fact, he uses this term. He says, I have been slaving away for you. But note what the father says. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. Everything's there. You're surrounded by it. Everything I have is yours. Every day he was working with the father, but he saw it as slaving away when he wasn't meant to be doing it as a slave, he was meant to be doing it as a son. All that the father had was available to him. And I wonder why he never took it. Perhaps he was waiting for that day when his father passed away. Or perhaps he was fearful. He says, I never refused to do what I was told. Or in some translations, I never disobeyed you. Maybe it was out of fear. Whatever it was. He got his view of who he was, was all wrong. 
The book of Romans has a very similar passage to the one that we read in Galatians. So let's turn to Romans 8. If you've got your Bibles. Romans 8, verse 14 in the NIV this time. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may, we may also share in his glory. The key to truly knowing we are sons of God is to be full of the Spirit. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. And it causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, it's, and this, is a cry, this isn't a cry of lament or of pain. This is a cry of joy. This is a cry of just overwhelmed with gladness. This is the same word when it says cry out. This is the same word it uses uh, when it talks about the children who shouted out on Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest. It's that same word. It's that cry of joy. When we are full of the Spirit, our sonship is no longer theoretical. It's no longer head knowledge. You know when you know something up here, but you don't really know it? It's not like that. It goes deep within us, a deep yearning, a deep knowing in our spirits as the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And we know, I am a child of God. See, my kids don't need me to remind them I'm their dad. We have the head knowledge things. We have a piece of paper that says that they are my kids. And they know that they are my kids. But they don't know, need to see all that. They know deep within. To the point where my son will be sat in any room in the house and you will hear a cry of, Dad, need ya! Dad, need ya! Because he knows he can call me. He knows I am his father. He knows he is my son. And he can call on me. It's deep within him. He knows and this word Abba is really significant here. It's the same word that Jesus uses in his most intimate of moments with the Father. And it's a relationship like Jesus had with the Father that God has adopted us into. One of closeness, one of intimacy, but also assured confidence in who we are. Children of the living God co-heirs of a kingdom that cannot be shaken because you know this word Abba sometimes we hear it it referred to as oh it's dad it means daddy but it doesn't just mean daddy it's not just a, a kind of you know nice little term it's a beautifully intimate term while simultaneously being a term of great respect there's, there's kind of not a word in English that goes 
goes with it really and translates to it but it's it's simultaneously that intimacy that beautiful intimacy while God your Lord and this is probably most notable in Mark's gospel when we read Jesus saying this word in Mark 14 verse 35 it says this this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified and he's praying to his father and he says going a little farther he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him Abba father he said everything is possible for you take this cup from me but yet not what I will but what you will see Jesus knew God intimately as a father but he also knows he is Lord of all and as Jesus is weeping in the garden and he knows what is to come, it's the cry of Abba that comes from deep within him. Father, I love you. Father, I'm struggling with this. Father, I don't want to do this, but you are Lord. Your will be done. See, the cry of Abba doesn't just cause us to sit and do nothing. The cry of Abba causes us to long more and more to do God's will, to be closer to the Father's heart, to see out the mission that he has called us to, to have our hearts moved by the things that move his. Verse 17 in that Romans 8 passage we read earlier says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. But then it says this, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, we, uh, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are co-heirs with Christ, but there is a job to do. <laughs> there is a kingdom to see come. And God's mission for, you, for humanity right at the beginning, right in Genesis, right at the beginning of time, God's mission for humanity was to bring his kingdom, rule and reign on this earth. And this mission is still the mission today. We are called to know the Father, to know him intimately. And we're also called to know his business. It's not either or. It's both and. See, over the years, we've spent a lot of time busying ourselves with doing things. I'm working, I'm, I'm doing this, God, I'm, I'm making this happen, I'm, I'm doing this mission. And then, and then we kind of reach a point where we realise that well, it's not about who, what I do, it's about who I am. So then we end up over here and, and we just sit and we do nothing. It's about who I am, it's not about what I do. I don't need to do anything, I can just be. The problem is, it's not that either. It's this place in the middle where I know who I am. I know I am a child of God, but I know that there is a mission. It's intimacy and obedience to the Father. When I was younger, um, in my teens, me and my dad would go out sailing together. We used to go to, uh, in Portsmouth Harbour, and we used to race these little 20-foot yachts. Um, and um, 
like I love doing it. It's one of the highlights of my of my teens was going out on the spoon. We used to do it most Tuesday nights, I seem to remember. And we would go out and we would we would race these boats and sometimes we'd we'd win and sometimes we'd do really badly. Um but it was it was just great and, and my dad was in his element like it was great to see the joy in his and I loved spending time with my father in that moment and it was a real intimate time with my father. But do you know what? He was also the captain of the ship. And that was really important because he knew, first of all, how to put the sails up and how to do all that. But he also knew how to get us to the, from A to B the best. And he also knew how to keep me safe. And when you're in the middle of Portsmouth Harbour on a, on a little boat, when there's loads of big boats around, you really need to keep safe. And you really need... And so there was that place of intimacy and spending time with my father. But equally... I need to trust him and I need to be obedient to what he's calling me, what he's telling me to do. Because one slip on a boat, you know, you end up in the water and you don't want to be there. So <laughs> I found myself in this place with, with my dad on that boat where, where he was my father and my captain. And it's like that with God, intimacy and obedience. And this only comes from being continually filled with the Holy Spirit and from knowing God. Not like that younger son we read about earlier who just wants to do things his own way, but also not like the older son, just working, working, working. Intimacy and obedience. The cry of Abba, Father. So what does this look like for us in practice Well, the first thing I want to suggest is it means spending time with our father. You know, you get the impression that older son just spent all his time in the fields doing stuff and actually his father's like, I've been here the whole time. Spending time with your father, resting in his presence, praying, seeking his face daily. For me, recently, I've, I, I've been doing this thing in the mornings. I try and get up earlier than everyone else. I try and get up earlier than everyone in the house. And I, I go downstairs and I have a bit of a pattern. I deliberately don't look at anything on my phone. Like the first, I, I've deliberately made a, a choice that the first thing I look at on my phone is prayer and is not Facebook or the news. And I go downstairs and I make myself a coffee, I grind my coffee beans because I'm posh. Uh, or a snob, or <laughs> or just like good coffee, yeah, thanks. Um, I go downstairs and I, I grind my coffee and, and I let the dog out. And uh, and then I go and sit on the sofa and the dog comes curled up next to me. And the lights are dim and I spend 10 minutes just praying, doing often doing Lectio 365. And then I spend five minutes just in silence, just before God. And sometimes... I can experience God's presence and sometimes I spend five minutes fighting out the task list that's in my head already. But just saying, God, I just spend that time saying, God, I want to be aware of your presence today. And I tell you what, it's not like some big revolutionary thing happens instantly, but I can guarantee the days where I do that is the days when I'm more aware of God's presence, when it gets to midday, when it gets to two o'clock, when it gets to five o'clock. Find time, find what works for you. Make space to spend time with the Father. Make space to sing. We talked about it this morning, Ali, what that word this morning, because it transforms you. 
And then, when you've done that, allow him to transform you, to minister to you, and to cause that cry to come from deep within, Abba, Father. And as you do that, you'll discover what it is he's calling you to do in your world today. To be peacemakers. To pray for the sick. To be a generous people. To practice hospitality. To see those little moments, those little glimpses of the kingdom of heaven coming through. To usher in the kingdom of heaven in the place where we are. We want to be people that receive the presence of God in and around us so that we may know him. So that we may know Abba, Father, intimacy and obedience, living daily as his sons and daughters and in that seeing his kingdom come.